1: VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
0: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
1: Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast.
2: I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. We are going over the final January 6th committee hearing of the summer with professor and author of The Oath in the Office, Corey Bretschneider. Corey, thank you so much for staying up late. I I didn't think they'd go this late in the hearings.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there was an intense amount to get through, and I'm glad they took their time, actually. I think you don't want to rush, uh, you know, for now, the concluding argument. And uh, they were, you know, bringing evidence. They always have at the end just some punch that, that's kind of shocking. And even despite what have heard, and I thought the Bannon uh, punch at the end, really just an outright confession that this was made up from the beginning. Of course, we know it's made up, but uh, the, the claim about election fraud, but to hear Bannon say it in such plain and public ways so brazenly, uh, I thought that was very powerful. One thing I didn't mention that I don't want to lose is to me, there was a, a really important detail of the hearing today that shows how vulnerability, how vulnerable the democracy that we live in is and how particularly vulnerable it was on January 6th. And that was uh, the moment when we realized Mike Pence is making all the calls that Trump is refusing right. to stop this thing. He wants it to continue, obviously and is absolutely refusing, sitting in that dining room, to do anything. And, and Pence calls in the National Guard. Now, what struck me, and this is in my constitutional scholar mode, is the president is commander-in-chief, not the vice president. The vice president has no right. power to call out the military. What the hell was going on? It's like all of a sudden there was some sort of weird temporary coup where Pence realized he better step up and save the country and— uh it was like a, a you know, two-hour, or, or I don't know how long it lasted, hour-long emergency moment in the country's history where uh, the president's power was really usurped by the vice president, despite the fact that there's literally no constitutional authority to really do much of anything wh- if you're vice president, and certainly not <laughs> to call out the military in opposition to the president. So I'm glad he did it, but it, it, it's a a bizarre and frightening moment that shows you wow this system really was in crisis.
2: Well actually let me show you how how revelatory tonight's hearing was because I'm going to push back on you professor and mm-hmm. I'm inviting our mm-hmm. listeners to call by the way with what was the biggest revelation or shocking moment or disappointing moment for you in tonight's hearing at 866997 grit as fascinating as it was that that the vice president was giving orders to the military to clear the Capitol. And this is according to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Right. Uh, per Millie, Pence was saying, get the military down here, get the guard down here, put down this situation. I, I think the that's not even the most shocking Mike Pence revelation of the <laughs> evening. For me, I just, just in the Mike Pence room, uh, to me it was even more shocking, the danger That Pence's Secret Service agents believe themselves to be in, agents screaming and yelling, some sending deeply personal messages to have their colleagues, if necessary, say goodbye to their families for them. Mm. Agents in these very tense and urgent exchanges discussing if they didn't move Pence in in a minute or two, they might lose their chance to leave or hide him as the rioters advanced. I mean, it's really hard to—the trouble with these hearings is there's so many shocking revelations, and they barely give you a break— let anything land
3: right it was i mean emotional and that's a lot of what the committee's doing it's pulling that out to show you what it felt like and like members of congress i guess he really was in fear for his life i mean i have to believe at some point well we'll see i mean he's, he's making all sorts of calculations but we need to hear from him obviously from and Trump? get him to testify sorry, about whom? what from, was from, going
2: on and what, from who from, from pence Hear from pence yes, himself yes.
3: Which I, I don't I, was, st-
2: I don't see it happening. I don't see them see subpoenaing happening. him. Yeah. Certainly not. And Pence Pence, who who at least wants to try to run for president, even if he, let, he knows he yeah. can never get the nomination. I doubt Pence would put himself yeah. in the position to alienate a base he needs, a base that he needs to suck up to that wants to murder him. I just don't see Pence. Yeah, yeah. I'll, he's I'll, not that patriotic. I, I think
3: he, he's got to find the wedge. You know, he's not going to get the diehard Trump supporter. They've turned on him. They want to murder him. That's what we just heard tonight. So he's got to find a way to peel off some segment of the Republican Party. And we're not going to see it now. But as finally the polls are starting to move, uh, Trump's negatives are disapproval is increasing. Um, uh, Approval is is decreasing. The number of people who want to see an alternative to Trump is increasing. This committee is finally after you didn't see any motion in the polls for years, Having some effect. Now, I don't know about testifying, but coming out and starting to speak about what happened in that day, I think that's a move. Uh, Look, he's got to have something. It's not going to be capturing the Trump supporters, it's going to be distinguishing himself as a Christian, probably, and saying, you know, calling Trump on his BS religion stuff, but also as a, a proponent of constitutional government. And so coming clean, testifying about what happened that day, I think that could help him. I know that might not be the conventional wisdom that he's getting. But Mike Pence, if you're hearing this, I, n- I never thought I'd be wanting to help you. But but I, I
2: yeah, can you can
3: <laughs> <laughs> claim the constitutional mantle here.
2: I mean, l- let's talk about what we know here oh, after watching all of these hearings. And it's been really interesting watching all of them so far. We know that he really lost. We know that everyone around him and his administration and staff made sure he knew he'd really lost. We know he knew he'd lost when he pushed the stolen election propaganda. We know he knew he'd lost when he worked that mob up. Now, tonight, we know for those three hours, his staff, his cabinet, his family kept begging him to make it stop. We also know we've heard the word fuck on live network TV more tonight (laughs) than ever in my entire life. Um. (laughs) And and, and we now know they finally found a way to let Steve Bannon give testimony. The last night of the summer, they put a little special Easter egg in there for us, and (laughs) it was perfect. You know, no way were they going to let Steve Bannon have what he wanted, which was to testify live and turn it into a grandstanding chance for him to perform for his podcast fans. What they did was play the actual audio from October 31st, 2020, a week before the election, months before the insurrection, showing showing that bannon and trump both understand the dynamics of the vote count uh, he says how how, how trump's going to declare victory whether or not he was the winner it's all premeditated he also explained in the same clip why election results favor republicans first because the mail ballots lean democratic and are counted second uh, liz cheney said it demonstrates that trump's entire plan was premeditated how important is it that it's now been laid out on tape that all this was strategy,
3: I think you know, showing that he didn't believe the big lie is crucial to any future criminal case, certainly, because what he's going to claim in his defense in reference to all these various charges that we've talked about, the um, uh, you know cons- conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy um, uh, towards sedition. Uh, all of those are potentially, he has a defense, which is, I was doing my duty. I'm supposed to uphold the Constitution. I believe there was fraud. That's my sincere role, and I couldn't, you know, allow the certificate. Now, if you can show that's a lie, that he wasn't doing that, what's the defense that just falls apart? So all of that, um, you know, in a criminal case, so much is about uh, the mens rea the mental state of the right um uh individual the the accused and here you see there there was a bad intent here there certainly was not a a good faith effort to protect our democracy it was just an attempt to stay in power even though he knew he was lying so that is really important if uh the doj as i hope they will takes up this case
2: we are going to take your calls uh, shortly at 866-997-4748. But first, um I have a couple of questions from a listener, Amy, who uh wants to know two things, professor. One, does Roger Stone's presidential pardon cover Stone for January 6th? Good I don't question think it I'm does.
3: Not sure. No, and it's not a prospective pardon. It had to do with the specifics of the criminal case that had been brought against him. Uh there, you know, is one I think what the caller might, the listener might be thinking about is that in the Nixon case, there was a very special kind of pardon that Ford gave, that was really a blanket pardon for everything that happened during the Nixon presidency. And Stone's pardon is more specifically for the conviction that he faced. So January sixth happened uh, happened after the fact, and okay. I, I don't think would be covered by it.
2: That's good. That's very good to know. Her second question is, how can Merrick Garland not move forward with the full weight of his office now? If we want to save democracy, um, yeah. then we have to defend it, don't we? I mean, look, at least we know Merrick yeah. Garland's been told about this, Corey. He he, he knows, yeah. right? He's, he's, he's been alerted. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, he said he's going to be watching it closely, that his uh, staff is going to be watching it closely. And, you know, it's not really about just watching it, although this case, a lot of their work has been done for them. And this is what we've been watching is a criminal prosecution just done through the House of Representatives without the power to indict or put you know eventually convict the, pre- the president but they can do a mock up of it and they've done a, a amazing job clearly in consultation with criminal lawyers with uh, in addition to media savvy uh, consultants and you know they're handing the case to Uh, Garland, and they're not done. They're going to keep going. They're going to give him more. But what I think is crucial about all of these days is not just the information. It's really not about that. It's about the pressure on the Department of Justice to do a prosecution that obviously needs to be done. And uh, it's really, you know, at this point about embarrassing, I think, Merrick Garland into doing it. I don't know what's going on in his mind. I worry that what it is is this sort of misguided idea that look, you know, we have to move past this, we have ethical people in power now. It reminds me a lot of the things that Gerald Ford said about why he didn't want to see Nixon prosecuted and why he gave Mm -hmm. the pardon that it it was, you know, about the institutions holding and, and ethical people and the Department of Justice. And he did, you know, things to reform the Department of Justice Ford did that are still with us uh, the the, the uh, counterpart of Merrick Garland was e- Edward Levy, a very respected former president of the University of Chicago, became the Attorney General. Garland, you know, has spoken very highly of Levy. But to me, you know, for all the laudatory praise for Levy misses the fact that they really believe that prosecution of the former president was a mistake and that instead they should focus on reforms within the DOJ and the future. And uh, that was a disaster, not prosecuting Nixon. It set all this up. And I I don't want to see Garland be another Edward Levy. That would be a disaster for the country.
2: Well, speaking of, you tweeted about an hour ago, maybe don't make Nixon your go-to example of how to respect the Constitution. I thought the same thing. Somewhere in hell, Nixon is high-fiving Roy (laughs) Cohn, going, see, I'm not the worst one anymore. Your boy outdid me.
3: Yeah, I mean that worries me on a deep level. On the one hand, of course, it's funny that here you have this national security deputy testifying about the wonderful position of power that was enabled by Richard Nixon, you know, somehow not getting the fact that that, that Nixon's presidency was next to Trump, one of them maybe equal to Trump and the more we learn about it, but but certainly a danger. Uh, for democracy certainly an instance of the white house being used to shield crimes and to commit them and yeah to use that as an example with no sense of irony (laughs) not even mention it I, i i thought was absurd but it's it's also worries me because you know there's a cult of i think he wasn't realizing what he was doing a cult of richard nixon within that trump white house i mean trump connection to roy cohen connection to stone who was an operative in the nixon white house as a young 20-something year old i'm for my next book interviewing one of the prosecutors who interviewed stone in connection to a number of things that were going on uh, at the time not watergate itself but related uh, activities and crimes and uh you know here this is guy just sort of repeating stone who i believe has a tattoo of nixon on him yes he does repeating that you know nixon was so great why (laughs) it's just not correct
2: of course well that's why I think I want to see Stone go to jail so much not so much to see Roger go to jail but the tattoo is the closest we'll ever get to actually seeing Nixon behind bars in our lifetime so I I go for <laughs> oh, that I love Corey.
3: that have you been using that that's gotta go on
2: your <laughs> oh, you, you uh, all the time more up popular up with that's... cellmates too I hear popular yeah. with the cellmates um, so listen uh, we gotta take a quick one when we come back it's our conversation with the great Wanda Sykes right here on Sirius XM I'm so excited. Anytime we can get this artist back on this show, it's going to be gushy and I'm going to apologize early on. Oh, um, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's one uh, Emmy award winning. We got to say that uh, you might know her from blackish. You might know her from curb your enthusiasm. You might know her from her excellent standup specials uh, in the last year. She has guest hosted Jimmy Kimmel live. Uh, she co-hosted the Academy Awards. I didn't hear much about that. I didn't even must have. Yeah, that was must, under the radar. I must have missed that one yeah. uh, right now. However, it is time for the first half of the second season of, of uh, her amazing sitcom, The Upshaws, which she created uh, for Netflix with Regina Hicks. It is such a pleasure to welcome uh, uh, an artist who keeps on getting better, who keeps on pushing the envelope, and who keeps on finding the edge and the heart, Ms. Wanda Sykes.
0: Why, thank you, John.
2: I I love this sitcom. I I just want to start off by saying I'm not a sitcom guy, Uh and we all say, oh, you could never make All in the Family now. They could never put The Jeffersons or Good Times on network TV, and you've really done it with this show.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, that that was the goal. That, I, mean, I was to, to do like a throwback type show, you know, like a Norman Lear esque type show. Yeah, it, it's
2: it, but before we even get to asking about it, because I have so many questions about it. it mm-hmm. uh, but uh, let me begin by the obvious: How are you? How's your family? How's the COVID time?
0: I'm I'm doing well. Family's uh well. The kids are over in France right now, uh, enjoying their summer, and uh, I. Gonna get, I'm gonna get to, to join them uh, in a week or so.
2: Very nice. So yeah,
0: so everything's uh, good.
2: Congrats on the uh, the second season coming up. I love that it's being staggered into into two parts.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what is the biggest difference for you doing a sitcom like this for a streaming service as opposed to say your time on New Adventures of Old Christine?
0: Uh, wow. I, first of all, I, I loved New Adventures of Old Christine. Yeah. and that was that was fun, and that was uh. Yeah, I didn't have to do any heavy lifting on New Adventures of Old Christine. You know, it was like, I give me a script, say my lines and go home and, uh, you know, enjoy my life. It was s- such fun, especially working with that cast. Uh, the Upshaws, we're doing the work, you know, with the, the writing, the casting, the pro- producing, the editing, you know, yeah. marketing now. Um, it's it's really special and I, and I love the show and I, I love what we've created, so it's uh almost oh, a lot of work. I'm I'm just enjoying it. Yeah.
2: Is this a show that you could have brought to regular networks or is it something that could only live on streaming?
0: <sighs> maybe. May yeah, maybe because I you know, you you see what uh what blackish is doing and um you think, well, it could have lived on network but it's it's fun. Doing it on uh, a streaming service, you know, like Netflix, because one, we get to curse, and you have Mike Epps and myself. You're going to get some profanity. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's going to, yeah. Family sitcom with profanity. You're going to get a little cursing, you know. So, uh, Netflix fits well with us, and I like not having to worry about commercial breaks, and, you know. um,
2: But it's also a show that really talks about struggle in America, struggle of black families, struggle of just non-millionaire families Mm -hmm. in this country. Working
0: class family, that's it.
2: Yeah, but it goes there to such a real degree. I mean, some shows, it's, oh, dad lost his job. Your show, oh, there's another kid we didn't know about. I mean, (laughs) this show goes to some places of real, real pain, and I think that's what makes it both so edgy and so heartfelt at the same time, because it it is about family and Mm -hmm. all the horrible, unexpected shit that can befall a family.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that's why it's so relatable because most families that's how they're living. You know, we're messy. There's there's some something going on in everybody's family, right?
2: I mean, was that the original goal when you were developing this to like just to to rebrand the family sitcom?
0: Yes, yeah, to make it um, real and to speak on how you know families exist today, um, and especially you know Mike, you know he uh, you know he has a some other kids, you know. But, yeah. But, <laughs> sorry, Mike. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's it's bringing all of that to it, but it's it's about love and um, you know getting along and just saying, look, this this is life. Deal with it. That's mm-hmm. you know what you're gonna do. You know.
2: Now you knew going into it that you didn't want to play the mom in this show.
0: Uh, right.
2: Why was that?
0: I don't know. I, I wanted to play a play a character more like um, Aunt Esther. You got yep Aunt Esther <laughs> from that's and we we said that relationship. Uh, Mike said, you know, let's do like like Fred and, and Aunt Esther's relationship. I was like, okay, I like this, like this idea. Where I'm just a basically a busybody, you know, well, in everybody else's business. I, I, kept, them, I yeah. kept
2: I kept thinking about that, but like Ann Esther, your character's a busybody, but Ann Esther was you know malevolent she was just right. she wanted to hurt people yeah it seems like most of and i love the relationship and i love mm-hmm. how you and mike epps are always at each other's throats but it seems like you're doing everything you do out of love for your sister it seems absolutely. like your character is very morally motivated
0: yes yes absolutely um and, and she even wants at the heart of it she wants benny to do right because if if benny improves and and does right then that then she's happier for her her sister so yeah lucretia is uh team regina all all the way she'll do anything for her family yeah
2: you know i love your character but i i do think mike epps's character might be my favorite on this show i I keep changing who i like Mm -hmm. the most but we've we've seen the perfect sitcom dad and we've seen the buffoon sitcom dad, right. the Homer Simpson many times, mm-hmm. but we've never seen this character of the father who really, really wants to be good and just keeps fucking up. Yeah. Like I, my heart breaks for this guy on every episode yeah. because you can tell he doesn't, he wants to be good. He loves everyone and he can't stop fucking
0: up. Right. Yeah. No, as my, my grandmother say, he, he's got no do right in him. Yeah. 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 There's no do right in him. But yeah. in his heart there is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. He, I mean, he can he can see it. He, can, you know, he can vision you know envision the the father and the husband that he wants to be. But it's like, but how do I get there? Like, how do, how do I you know connect the dots to get there? So, um, but you know, I, I hope you see some growth in him. A lot of growth, this, yeah, this season. Yeah, a lot of growth. So in him. you know, he, he'll he eventually.
2: Was that always the plan or was that <laughs> something that Mike like stepped in on like to to help develop or was that always your vision for for the character of the father to be a guy who is just struggling yeah. and he's got grown kids and grandkids mm-hmm. and he's still just trying to get it right.
0: Right, right. Um Mike's Mike's was the one who uh, knew where he wanted the character to start, you know. He knew this is where benny uh lives this is this is where where we start him, and then we you know just Regina and myself we just talk it out and say okay where' where where are we gonna take him this season where's you know where's the growth and of course there'll be some you know one step forward, two step back, There'll, there'll be some of that. <laughs> some of that too, because that's just human human nature, right?
2: But I also love that because it's sort of something with streaming. It's like a it is like a serialized mm-hmm. sitcom. It's not just every one of these episodes stands on their own. There actually is a character arc for everybody right. over the course of a season.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we think about that and uh, and plan that before before the season. Your character
2: yeah. fascinates me because I love the antagonism with Mike, but mm-hmm. at the same time you you have to keep her on the right side of the line, right like right. you you want her to be that foil, you want her to take the piss, but she can't ever veer into being hateful or antagonistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's a pain in the character and a darkness there, but you really do a great job of keeping you know this antagonism just still very friendly
0: right um. I, yeah, you know, and you know, what? Mike is is really good at that too, because sometimes, like, they'll write a, a you know a joke for you know Mike to you know go after Lucretia, and Mike, Mike will go, oh, I don't want to say this. I was like, Mike, I wrote it. It's okay. Come on, say. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's uh, we we know where I think we know where the line is. Right. Yeah, because people. We're doing it for the audience, and and I, we know they want to laugh. They love these characters, so we also want to protect them. You know,
2: this is really your baby. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what did you learn between the first season and the second? What did the whole experience of getting the first season completed teach you creatively?
0: The first season, um, I guess, trust your instincts. Yeah, and the second season. I had to learn to trust other people's instincts you know I I had to loosen the reins up a little bit second season like creatively um yeah you know because like the first season I I just felt like this is not going to get done unless I'm in the room you know and second season because you know one we were doing 16 episodes um and I was, you know, on the floor a lot. Yeah. So then I would get back to the writer's room and it was like, okay, you guys, you start to rewrite, you've, you know, you're doing this. And I'm like, oh, damn, this is good. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was like, yeah, so it was like just, um, which makes me very, very happy, you know, that we have such a good uh, writers. Room. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, yeah. it,
2: it's interesting viewing you as the boss. And showrunner on one of these things, uh, you know, not just being a cast member. Mm-hmm. Do your, do your castmates feel comfortable with Regina Hicks,
0: oh, yeah, right who on, yeah. is, you know, an amazing partner to have? I mean, I'm just, I just feel so blessed, and and I'm learning from her too, you know, because she's she's been doing this way longer than I've been doing this. because mm-hmm. she's very very old. old. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry, Regina. Uh, I had to do that to her. But no, um, yeah. So we, yeah. So we're, we're, yeah, having a great time. Um, do with, the other actors characters. feel comfortable?
2: Like now that you're the boss, like you know, pitching <laughs> lines or trying to try to play with things.
0: Um, you know, I guess, that, and that's what else makes this show so great is that um, the actors care. They care about their characters. Like, uh, you know, if Kim has an issue with you know Regina or or with the one of the lines or something, she'll she'll call, call us she'll call Regina and I and say look I don't know about this and we talk it through and um, yeah and sometimes we change it. sometimes we don't but yeah. <laughs> but yeah so it's it's and, and Mike cares yeah that's I think that's what makes the show so successful is that pe- no one no one is just showing up to work and saying their lines and going home yeah. everybody really invested in the show
2: one of my favorite storylines in the show is how bernard jr eventually comes out Mm -hmm. as gay to his father Mm -hmm. which i'm trying to think of like in the history of black sitcoms where have we seen this moment and it really shows the growth in in benny as well was it important to you to have that kind of representation in one of the characters on the show whose Uh, idea was it to make him come out as gay
0: both of us Uh, regina um who's also who's also lesbian she um we we talked about it and we said you know we want to have some you know representation on this show and we went back and forth it was like you know what let's 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 go with the oldest son bernard and um he's always had a you know a kind of like a not estranged but just a distant relationship with benny you know he's always had this there's always just like this angst about him, about him. and i was like you know it that makes sense that th- the reason also part of this distance with his fathers because he's he's hiding something you know so um we knew that would be a really uh you know powerful moment for him to come out um and also because there's so many other you know especially black men struggling yeah. you know and family struggling you know how to deal with it so um which is odd because you would think thinking this day and age you know that we're we're past that but no, it's still well, i mean you, yeah you went through issue. quite yeah, a thing oh, with your yeah. parents oh right? yeah oh yeah
2: your parents didn't attend your wedding correct uh
0: exactly yeah. yeah no one from my family no one. yeah yeah but but we're you, you know I, I know there's a cousin listening like that you ain't invite me you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'd have been there you ain't invite me no um <laughs> but it, it's all good now my parents are amazing mm-hmm. um they help us out with the kids my you know Everyone, everyone. um. I I always thought it was
2: just like one degree of empathy. Like, Mm. like a lot of people can't really open up their minds until it happens to someone they know, until it happens in their life, and then they realize, oh my god, I'm not a bigot. I love gay and lesbian people. My son, my daughter, my sister, Mm etc. Right. But like, I'm. I just. I'm so fascinated what that did for you creatively, what it did for you comedically. You know, it seems like, it seems like every kind of representation means extra much to you because of what you experienced.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And not just representation, but how they're represented, you know, the, the, the it's, that's huge. Yeah. Because uh before the, it just wasn't pretty. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. a lot of, you know, gay characters you like were cartoons? Either, yeah. Yeah. Vulgar cartoons. Exactly. Exactly. So, um we knew we weren't going to do that.
2: You know. I mean, this character is young, he's b- b- built, and he's got a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. know tons of gay guys who have a baby because one time when they were 19.
0: Exactly. Yep. Uh,
2: you know, I'm curious. I saw you on the Black Lady Sketch Show not too long ago playing a heckler. Uh-huh. That must have been fun for you. <sighs>
0: oh, man, that was so much fun. What What yeah. does heckling look like at this point in uh, your life? Heck, you know what? I don't want to say it's non-existent, but it's... uh. I get very little of it. My my audience, they're pretty mature. They come to see you. They come to see me. And they're pretty mature. And, and you know, if, if I get into the deep into the politics, I might get, you know, a couple, you know, grunts and groans. And but usually my audience, they're good at policing themselves, you know? Yeah. Yes, if someone's out of lines another audience member will tell them to shut up before I can I can say shut up. I
2: know? think it's a great sign of success when you go from heckling to walkouts. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. that's yes. that, that means it. I would see go see Carlin mm. hundred walkouts in the first half hour. Yes. I'm like, that's that's made it.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: I, I read somewhere that you did get like horribly booed like the second or third time you ever did a set. Oh yeah. What happened?
0: Oh God, I bombed. That's <laughs>
2: <laughs> I bombed my fourth time. Yeah,
0: I bombed. Yeah, and I invited my family to the show because you know I was like, "Hey, I went on stage. Everybody laughed. So that happens all the time, right? Yeah, you know, right? No, nope. I got on stage and oh man, it was where, where, where horrible. Where was it? It was in D.C. Mm-hmm. It was in D.C. I mean, oh, I, it, people were just this one lady like turned her chair around and was just like, Ugh. Oh. Like, is she still on? You know. your family's there? Yeah, my family's there. Whew. Yeah. How was it afterwards with them? Uh, My mother told me, don't worry about it. You have a good government job. Uh, (laughs) You'll be fine. Well, at least you got it out your system. Uh, But, you know, I I couldn't sleep until I was able to get back on stage and get those
2: laughs again. You paid the gods. Yep because the first time was too good. Uh-huh. I- I'm curious, when you write, how do you write? Do you have set times? Do you use notebooks? Do you use computers? Like, what does it mean for you to write at this point?
0: Um, are you talking, like, for stand-up? For stand-up or for other work or for other projects? For stand-up, um, you know, it's, it's like if I'm watching something or usually the news or reading, you know, something. And uh, it could just be everyday life something will hit me that's funny and I'll I'll make a note now in my phone I go to my notes and so that's where you do it that's where I do it that's where I do it now because it's it's like so you know accessible it's like whenever I try to write it down I end up losing a piece of paper I know I know right so when
2: you were putting together like a whole set for you working on the new special Mm -hmm. I mean do you you I'm really curious because I love watching how your act has evolved Mm -hmm. you 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 put the notes on your phone. You get the bits together on your phone, right? And then gradually, you, you just incorporate it all into memory, or do you ever sit down and like?
0: Put oh, I to map it out. Yeah, you do map it yeah. Out. I'll go through them. Then I'll like right now. It, it, the note is twenty twenty two, and it's everything I've come up with so far this year. And
2: yeah, how's that going? Oh gosh,
0: it's like well, I thought it couldn't get any crazier than this, but um. You thought your year,
2: your year couldn't get I crazier know. than this?
0: Right. See, here's the yeah. thing. I'm,
2: I don't want to ask you at all about Chris Rock getting slapped. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you what it's like to do a press tour where everyone asks you <laughs> about Chris Rock getting slapped. Because to me, the amount of times you've had to talk about this over oh, and over again in the press, it's, it's, it's been amazing. I'm the, like, I'm fascinated by Iwana, because I was, I was watching you that night, and you were killing it as host. I love what you were wearing. It was so great to Thank see you. you. And on the one hand, I'm mad that your moment was taken away. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, my God, this is going to be so good for you. You can dine out on this forever. You're going to get you're, you're going to get to talk about this till you're 80. <laughs> but what's it like for you to have to just smile I and tell know. the same anecdote about how you felt over and over again?
0: I know, I know. It's it, it's it's sad that um. Well, it's not sad. It's just it is what it is. You know, it, because if we talked about the Oscars and you didn't. Asked me that, then people are like, what? "What's wrong with John? Did he did he watch the Oscars? He kind of skipped over something, you know." Um, but but for me, it's um, like I said, we had so many great moments on that, you know, on that, great on that show, yeah. And I wish we could we would talk about. I mean, that, watching watching three funny when, oh women God, it was hosting
2: the Oscars yes. and not making it about current events. It was about film. It uh-huh. was like a really good hosting of right. the Oscars, which is hard to pull off well.
0: We're trying to make it about the movies. Let's, you know.
2: I mean, there's lots of great hosts who just do their act and they don't right. talk about the movies. You guys right. were really, and the three of you, by the way, uh-huh. not easy to do three-way banter. Like on a technical level, there were so much great achievements. And right. then the next day, I didn't see anyone asking you about your material, about who wrote right. this joke, about did you have a favorite joke yeah. that
0: night? Yeah, not at all. It was just about that, you know. And and then, then I get hit on, you know, whatever social media. Wow, she, get, get over it, get over it. You know, she said she was traumatized. Get over it. It's like, I'm kind of trying to, you know. <laughs> What does that mean?
2: Get yeah, over it. You, I know.
0: And, and it's like. You watched
2: a man strike another man and then sit thank down. You. It's like.
0: Yeah. And then get an award yeah, and get a standing ovation and, 45 minutes you. later. Thank you. It's like you you realize I was at work and my coworker, somebody slapped the shit out of my coworker. Yeah. You know, on my job.
2: Someone slapped so. the shit out of one of the most beloved entertainers in America. And a
0: friend. Yeah. 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 He's been so, good
2: to me. Mm-hmm, I mean. Absolutely. And it was like, in that sense, I know comedians take it on a different level. Right. But I, I just feel like. You know, in many ways, it robbed you of your moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, is there value in what happened? Like, like, is there something good that's come for you from what happened? And being asked about it a million times. Like, e- either does it help you establish who you are? Does it give you a, a way to build off of that controversy? Is there any value in that awful experience? So at the time, it was just dark and ugly, and I, right. I just wanted to turn off the awards. It was so depressing.
0: You know what? I would say the amount of support that I've received um, afterwards, especially that night, because uh, yeah, I, I was a, a mess that night, and uh, I was I was just ready to go home. I was like, "Man, forget all these parties. I'm 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 going home. I don't even want to be around people." Um, but then, you know, my 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 friends, my my publicist, my wife, they were like, "Look, a lot of people put a lot of time and effort." into you know this and you know think about your glam squad you know and I had mm-hmm. like three other outfits that I still you know needed to wear at different parties and all these amazing designers you know it's it you know made things for me so um I'm like yeah that would be kind of selfish to to rob them of their moment why you know make this worse it's you very know? professional yeah so so you know I put on another outfit went to the governor's ball and you know then Got through that and put on another outfit, went to the Vanity Fair party, and uh, I ran into uh, James Corden, and he looked me in the eye, and he could see that I was, like, just not there. And, you know, like, tears. And uh, and he just gave me a big hug and uh, just gave me this, this talk that was just amazing, you know? about you did it. You did it. You guys were great and you did it. You know, talk I, I want I want you to talk to thirteen year old Wanda right now and tell her what you did tonight. You know, and it just yep. like I'm tearing up now. But it, it um it really it was so helpful and it just then I was like, "Okay, come on, let's party." And 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 then he told my wife, he said, "Say, you know, I just did that shit for you because she was going to be <laughs> a miserable bitch for the rest of the night if I couldn't get her out of this dark space." So, um, yeah. And then we had it. We had a we had a ball the rest of the night.
2: Yeah. I think a lot of people who weren't in the room would have had a harder time taking it seriously. Just the fact that an act of violence occurred, and how if you've ever. Look, either you've been around that growing up, mm-hmm. or you haven't been around that growing right. up. Either you appreciate what that can do to your soul, or you don't. Right?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it was dark. It was really dark. And then the the screaming afterwards did not help. The screaming? The well, when he was yelling, you know, keep my wife's name. Oh yeah. Then that didn't
2: help. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, look, Chris is going to be fine. Oh, he's going to be fine. The other guy's going to be fine. Yeah. The other guy's ho- age. Agents- I hope.
0: I hope he is fine I really do the I, other guys I really agents wish... are
2: offering Chris anything to do a cop buddy movie <laughs> every day I predict they're going to offer him anything to do a cop buddy movie but for me I just I just uh, you know you looked so good that night the material was so tight I Thanks. heard you say somewhere that you didn't think you'd ever want to do it again I right. hope that's not true because I'd love to see you get a chance to really uh, nail it again
0: I don't know I don't know what your kids think um wow they they thought that they they loved how we looked and they were excited about it they really yeah they they enjoyed the show but then of course they you know was like what yeah. the hell yeah yeah
2: they're teenagers this year mm-hmm. right? what has that done for you creatively and comedically
0: uh besides being I, tired all the i time. just needed a nap exactly yeah. i just just a nap please it's stressful man it's, it, oh. teenagers you know we we just got them cell phones like because yeah, yeah, we held off. We held off. We were we were trying to wait, trying to wait, and then uh, when he got twelve, and you know they're in school, and there's you know after school activities and stuff. It was like they're you know riding the bus. We're like we gotta we gotta get them phones. You <laughs> know all their friends are teasing them and stuff. Which that part I didn't care. Uh, I didn't care about that part. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was just their safety. I was like yeah, we got we got to get them phones. So. um but it's like oh you know they they're not allowed to have social media um nice. but it's but they are just especially my daughter tell me every day can i have tiktok no can i have tiktok no can i have instagram no can i have th- no and snapchat no and uh oh to, to the point i'm like if you ask me again i'm t- i'm going to take your phone <laughs> You're not gonna have a phone. You know. There's so many other ways she can learn to feel terrible about herself, right? There's so many ways teenagers can feel shitty about themselves without social media.
1: Exactly. There's
2: peer pressure elsewhere in the school. I
0: was like, you don't need strangers telling you how awful you are, you know? Yeah. You plenty of friends to do that for you.
2: I mean you must still catch it, right? Exactly. Do you tell them about I mean like the hate? The, hate. the amount like, of hate, like Twitter, is like, oh, my God, we're all in junior high now, except yes. the bullies can hide their fucking right. faces and hit us as hard as they want.
0: Exactly. And I am I'm, and I tell them that I'm like, you don't want any of this. Trust me. Mm. You don't want this. I was like, it's my job to protect you. And uh, you're not it's not going to happen.
2: You know, I can't imagine I was like, I'm,
0: I, it, rule number one. Don't talk to strangers. That's why. Yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah, I mean, having two, like when w- I just had one, mine mm-hmm. just turned ten. I remember when you had yours, and like I was just like, oh, I'm gonna go on the road and be on the road forever now. Mm-hmm. Like, like on the one hand, you have this provider anxiety that kicks in where I gotta go work, gotta go work, gotta take care of it. Is exactly. that the other hand? Oh, I'm tired all the time. Right. I mean, what was it like for you when they were just babies? Oh. I mean, I didn't sleep for a year with just one.
0: No, it. it we. I really thought we was gonna have to take one back, <laughs> twins. I'm telling you that 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 first three weeks, I looked at my wife. I was like, "You gonna have to pick one, the boy or the girl? Pick one, because this is this is a mess." I mean, we had to have friends come over to like bring us food and coffee, yeah. and because we we had no idea, you know, yeah. it was and then trying to get them on a schedule, it was it was rough. But I'm we, my wife and I was talking about it the other day how. Um, we wouldn't know know what to do with one kid now you know it's really? like yeah it's like you know it, and cuz we're so happy that they have each other you know that yeah. they have each other we don't have to be the source of of entertainment that's to them actually all the true. time that's actually
2: only having one right? done yeah mm-hmm. Now it's like oh wait i got to be your friend too exactly. i got to be your friend i got to talk about video games with exactly. you all the exactly. i got to learn how to play card games with mm-hmm. you yeah it's all you what did it do for you creatively and comedically? Once you got over the exhaustion, I mean, did it did it change you as an artist having children?
0: It did. It did. Um, I think it. You know, it, it, we're so we're so self absorbed. I think as as comedians, right? It's like comedians, it's, really. Yeah, yeah, it's about I us, think. right? Yeah, 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 right, right. So it does make it does make you um, stop thinking about yourself for a minute. A minute. Yeah.
2: Yeah. A minute. (laughs) Although your kids are now at the age where they start thinking they can dictate content, right? Like, do they have opinions on the act?
0: They don't really get to see the act so much. But it's like if when I would go on a a daytime show or whatever, they would listen or um, watch whatever. And then um, if, if one of their little friends say something about it you know Right. oh your mom said this about you and then they'll they'll come to me and say "Can you not talk about us on TV because you know our friends watch and they, they give us crap that's I'm great like, material uh. there though. yeah that's exactly I'm like material. ooh you're in trouble now you know
2: do you try out material on your wife
0: I don't I don't try out material on her um, sometimes she is my material I see you know? yes yeah so
2: do you bounce it off on anyone before you try it out live mmm
0: not really. I mean, sometimes I'll call Keith Robinson and I'll, you know, right. I'll run something by him. Or uh <laughs> He's good like that. Yeah. 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 You know, grumpy Keith. Yeah.
2: The last stand-up special was called Not Normal. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting to ask you about that because it seems like not normal is the new normal. And like every night on the show here, it's it's sort of about talking people off a ledge you know it's sort of like how do i save a dumpster fire how do i wake up another day and commit myself to caring about this society that seems to be trying to kill itself
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's scary right it really is i um i don't know john it's especially now with with this supreme court you're you're like okay woof we're in I trouble mean, you, we're in Trump
2: yeah Clarence That's, Thomas came out and said we're going after yeah not just gay marriage gay uh-huh, sex uh-huh. and then church and state yeah contraception right and shooting everybody and, uh-huh. and these hearings and Trump was in on it and nobody cares and yeah. I mean what's giving who you, needs
0: the EPA right you now
2: yeah what I mean and Democrats are just seemingly determined to you know hurt each other so the other guy can win yeah like what gives you hope at this point Miss Sykes oh, what is geez. what is what gets you up in the morning?
0: My passport.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's not the most optimistic thing I could have asked to hear.
0: No, I believe... (laughs) (laughs) What gives you hope for the sad (laughs) bastards left over here? Miss Francais. No, I believe the majority of people in this country are are good people and want to do the right thing. And I also believe um, that you know and that we we have to re- be reminded that um all the progress that we've made in this country it hasn't just you know been one group of people moving it forward you know i like, yeah. like 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 african americans we you know we're we've made such advances but it's not just you know just all black people didn't do it we had allies and i think to have to remember that you know and it's the same way like um I, I know you hear people like, "Oh, old white men are fucking up the country." It's, it's all these old white men. You got to remember, there's a, a a large group of of old who are now old white men, but back in the day when they were younger white men, they were marching with Dr. King. They were they were riding the they were freedom riders on, Bernie the, on those, those buses. Yeah, yeah, they did they did it. So I believe that that there's still a lot of good people who are going to help us move this thing forward, and you know. We gotta pull a Sri Lanka and get in them streets and be all up in the house and all that shit. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I'm not talking about like the White House. I'm talking about actually go to their homes. Oh yeah. Are, yeah. Like go, go to the president's go,
2: pool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean I'm exactly. with I am with you. Like the, the you've got the one side of just die hard, shitty, selfish white people. Right. And then there's everybody else. And yeah. everybody else doesn't always see eye to eye on everything. Right. You've got to find a way to get everybody, everybody else, else. To at least be on the same side long mm-hmm. enough to keep the shitty white people. Yeah. From making life interesting for the rest
0: yes. of us. Yes, yes. Oh, you forgot shitty white people and Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas yeah. and Diamond and Silk. Yeah. yeah. And Diamond and Silk and other people. And Herschel like Walker. Yeah. Can we keep but going? Yeah. No? <laughs> we just call them all out.
2: <laughs> Tell me, Herschel's not going. to Herschel's not going. Herschel
0: Walker. Herschel Walker. He cannot win. There's not enough white racists in
2: Georgia ah, to show up and oof. vote for that. No.
0: No, no. Right.
2: There's not enough self-loathing black people in Georgia. No, it can't happen. Um, You know, you keep consistently putting your celebrity on the line for what you believe in, whether it's what's in your act, whether it's leaving our friend Roseanne's show at the right time. Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you for inspiring me so many times over the years to keep it authentic and keep it loving. Thank you for all you do. I can't wait to see your new material in your act and everybody who cares about comedy needs to check out the season two of the Upshaws streaming now on Netflix. Wanda, you are beautiful. Thank you. Go host the Oscars again. We deserve it. We need more of you. I appreciate
0: it, John. Thank we'll you so right much. Next.
2: I'm John saying This is Sirius XM Progress. So I want to play a little bit of this. First, First, the bad take. Whenever a House committee meets up to discuss gun violence and gun safety, you'll have, well, shitty human beings like Ted Cruz, where here he is. Okay, I want you to prepare yourself for this. Here's Ted Cruz making the argument. Hey, you know what? We should give law enforcement more money and give them more guns, too. A4.
3: If we want to stop crimes, we need to get the criminals off the streets. And we need to increase law enforcement. Now, we just had a debate on gun control, and the Democrats passed a bill with some Republican support that I think is likely to do nothing to prevent violent crime.
2: Okay, get criminals off the streets, by the way. That's my favorite. We have, to get the crim- we have to have the pre-crime unit tell us who's going to commit a crime. Get the criminals off the streets. No, Ted, you're the one fighting for criminals to have easy access to guns. We have to get the criminals away from the guns. We have to make it harder to easily get mass casualty Mass casualty hardware in the hands of the... And when they say get criminals off the streets, what are they talking about? They're talking about more private prisons, right? I mean, we have 25% of all the people on earth who are in jail are in jail in this country. They're talking about the mass incarceration racket that already costs our taxpayers $75 billion, with a B, $75 billion a year. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. You wanted to rail about Ted Cruz and his mediocrity? Yeah, I just don't think it's... Is it possible to give police more guns and more money than we already are? It's- what we have to do is we need surgery to give police more hands, okay, more, more, more arms, because the cops have to be able to hold more than two guns. So I think this is something that Republicans can get behind. What if we said, hey, we want to arm the police even more, not by adding more cops, but let's just give them extra appendages so a cop could hold four, maybe six guns at the same time and fire them wildly into a crowd if you're in Denver. Why not? I mean... There's no reason we can't give a couple of those tactical joint strike fighters to the NYPD. (laughs) So fortunately, there was an adult in the room, uh, and it's a gentleman who just won the primary to keep his house seat yesterday in the great state of Maryland. Jamie Raskin. It was left to him to counter all the GOP bad takes on the Second Amendment. This is a couple minutes, but give it a quick listen. Jamie Raskin makes it look easy.
1: Who's an able-bodied person. I'm not going to yield, but I'm coming to you right now. My friend from, from Texas, Mr. Roy, advances the so-called insurrectionist view of the Second Amendment, that the Second Amendment's purpose is to give the people the right to overthrow or fight our government or fight the police or threaten armed resistance if the government is somehow being unfair or unjust. This reading is totally absolutely absurd and flies in the face of the plain text of the Constitution, which in at least five different places clearly forbids armed violent resistance to the government. The Republican Guarantee Clause in Article 4, Section 4 provides that the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or the executive against domestic violence. This was put in the Constitution specifically in response to Shays' rebellion and armed resistance to the government of the United States, which the founders strongly opposed. Here's another provision the gentleman from Texas should consider before cavalierly suggesting in public that citizens somehow have a constitutional right to use arms against our government and our police. Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1 states, In the only constitutional passage that defines a crime, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Armed insurrection and violence against the United States is plainly making war against our government, and thus is an act of treason. And I could cite all of the other ones, and what do they have against this? A quote from Patrick Henry, an anti-federalist who opposed the Constitution precisely because he thought it gave too much power to the federal government and didn't endow the people with a right of violent resistance against the government of the United States. That's not constitutional law. That's a constitutional joke. I yield back to you, Mr. Chairman.
2: Damn. Show them how it's done. Uh, that was Jamie Raskin with a clip that will never be aired on Fox News. You can join the conversation at 866-997. Grit will be right back. This is Progress. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We're taking your calls at 866-997-GRIT. Todd is in Wisconsin. Todd, thanks for your patience. Hello.
3: Hey, John. Uh, long time no talk. Um, Hello. Yeah, I'm here. You there?
2: Ha- yeah, I am. How's it going?
3: Okay, good. It's good. Long time no talk. I uh, wanted to uh, name the app that the lady was talking about. What do you got? I thought of uh, um, whosyourdaddy.com.
2: Oh, I love it.
3: who's their daddy, (laughs) if you want to do that.
2: I Um, love it.
3: And you can even misspell there for the Republicans, because they'll probably misspell it (laughs) anyway.
2: Oh, so wrong, and yet so right. Yeah, the, the idea our caller had in the last hour was an app where you could just enter any politician's name or just their picture, and right away it'll tell you who owns them, who donates to them and and who is uh who is exactly you know their benefactors i think that would be fantastic we should also know how much money they've taken who's given them the maximum i mean and i i want to know like the billionaires these 27 billionaires who are keeping joe manchin so flush with cash we should make them all famous unreal
3: unreal okay well that's want. thank you and have a great night
2: thank you and have a great night yourself